Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Wednesday's sports tonight. I'd like to welcome our, our legends, Mr. Don Henderson, slash New Jersey, slash Sarasota, Mr. Roy Cummings in Tampa Bay, and Mr. Frank Carroll keeps us on here. Now, Frank, do you have a dedication for tonight's show? Yeah, we do, Tommy. Um, 
as you uh, went on with uh, who's on tonight, we're missing one of our team members, and uh, he adds an awful lot to the program. He's a, a good man, and um, we uh, wish him well. He had a, 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 a minor operation this afternoon, uh, and that would be uh, um, the one and only um, Roger Hendler. Uh, Roger is a is a well versed uh, in both uh, sports, uh, all athletics, and uh, in radio and TV. So uh, we miss him as a as a partner. We miss him today, and uh, I've had a chance to talk to him a couple times in the last week. And he was looking to today to have to get a, some relief. So we wish no him question time. about it, Frank. I talked to him this afternoon and. A little bit uncomfortable, but as you say, nothing life-threatening or anything like that. It's just uh, inconvenient, and it looks like he'll be uh, down maybe, well, definitely tonight. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens next week. But other than that, he's in good spirits. We talked to him this afternoon, and just got to well, carry on. That's all. Yeah. Well, Roger, be my prayer chat. Excuse me, guys. Roger, be my prayer chat this week. Great. So, well, Don, good thing about this, and Roy, good thing about this, and Frank, NHL start their training camp on Monday, and also on August 1st will be the first play, restaurant and playoff games up there in that summer. And main thing about this, Roy, you remember back in 2004 and five, right, how Bettman did not, Bettman did not talk to the players' union up there, has hockey up there. So now you talk to the players' union, and we got we got a four year extension from the players union and the board of governors. So great news came out at New York and also Toronto, right? Yeah, um sure. NHL starting training camps. That's great. Uh baseball's in camp <laughs> and they're playing uh <laughs> inter squad games and so um uh but yeah, the NHL is getting going and that's great. The NBA's getting going, uh Pro football, uh, the NFL's got uh, they got a, a, an agreement with the players' union on how to go about training camps. So we're having camps. That that looks like that's happening. I mean, it's happening in baseball. It's starting to happen in hockey. Or starting to happen rather in basketball. Next week, as you say, it's going to happen in hockey. Um, you know, it looks like right now baseball is going to be the first to get back on the field and play meaningful games. Um, Keep your fingers crossed that we get to that point. Uh, I hope we do. Uh, a lot of players still very nervous about what's uh, what's going on and how this is all being done. And you know the, they've had some issues with with tests, obviously. But you know the mm-hmm. optimists uh, at this point are, are still hoping that uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a season. So there's still a long way to go. I mean, uh, guys, I, I hate to say it, but I'll believe it's happening when when we see. Uh, you know, players on the field in uniform playing meaningful games. I'll I'll believe it on the 23rd and the 24th in baseball, and I believe it's about the 28th in hockey, and I think it's the same for basketball. And you know, we'll see where the NFL goes. Well, as you say, Roy, you know, I've been pessimistic about it since day one. One thing I'm very happy about there was the National Hockey League, as Tommy just indicated. Uh, not only getting camp started, the one thing they're not going to do, they're not going to isolate the players, though, like uh, they're going to do a basketball with a dome and all that type of thing. They made that decision. But I think it's also they they made the first agreement as to how they were going to get back on the ice and how they were going to play 
even before right. basketball or baseball did. And now mm-hmm. they've t- extended that by having the new player agreement, which is only got to be agreed to by, by the Board of Governors and owners. So it looks like they're set until 25. And uh, that, right. to me, those are two great, great moves that the National Hockey League made. Secondly, uh, football-wise, uh, the, the uh, Ivy League announced this afternoon uh, that there will be no fall football in the Ivy League. Uh, they have canceled their schedule. Depending upon whether or not the uh, virus calms down and uh, they will think about playing in the spring, they won't say they're going to eliminate it altogether, but they would transfer uh, the football season to the spring if the virus has been uh, sort of controlled. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, they're, they're all sort of, you know, very, very optimistic and holding their breath, as you said, Roy. And I think that's all you can do. You want to take a chance. And if you're a player, a lot of players have already said no. NBA players have said no. Trout is really one that's still on the fence. His wife is pregnant. And uh, he hasn't really come out and said that he's going to play. So there's, there are yeah. players that aren't going to do this. Mm-hmm. You're right, Don, and, and that's, that is one to watch. And Mike Trout is definitely one to watch. Um, I think if Mike Trout opts out, you could see you could see a, a real domino effect from that. Um, you know, and uh, look, Joe Madden, uh, you know, and I think I mentioned this last week, uh, that Joe Madden, I think, said something very interesting this past week uh, where he said, uh, look, I don't think the guy – I understand the players are concerned, but we're doing everything we possibly can to make it as safe as possible. But if you can't follow those guidelines, that's the reason to opt out. He's got a point there, and I agree with that. But if you're somebody like Mike Trout and you fear that you could contract this virus, you can get this virus, take it home to your wife who's pregnant with your first child or any child, uh, you know, it, it may, you know discretion might be the better part of valor here. Um and so we'll see what happens. Uh, again, the, everything is changing day to day. You know, we haven't had one day where we haven't had news that makes you think, oh, we're solid. Uh, they're, they're all absolutely going to be on the field playing games on this date. Um, in baseball, in football, in basketball or hockey, every day what you hear is stories about more questions and more concerns. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, we talked about hockey, and, yes, it's great that they came up with a labor agreement. Wonderful. They've got something that uh, Major League Baseball hopes to have. We'll see what happens. It's it's actually, you know, the NHL's had its, its labor strife, but at the end of the day they, they've got less to work with than anybody else, so uh, it should be easier for them to come to an agreement. Um, so, but at the at the same time, you know, it appears as though we're looking at Edmonton and Toronto as the two hub cities now for the NHL's uh, replay. And lo and behold, today uh, in Edmonton, uh, a whole slew of people at the facility there tested positive. And so there's a big concern now. Right at this point, the NHL says, look, this is not going to affect uh, this being a hub city and being, you know, uh, close to a month out. Uh, you can You can see why they wouldn't be concerned just yet, but you got to wait and see. Um, Canada was doing extremely well, unlike most of the United States in terms of, you know, controlling the virus, uh, limiting the number of positive cases, limiting the spread. And now all of a sudden we have a little bit of an outbreak in Edmonton. So let's see where it goes. Um, again, we do, at this point, 
all we can do is hope, keep our fingers crossed that this thing starts to fade a little bit and we do get it under control and that these uh, organizations, I'll say this, the one good thing is it appears as though if there's a game plan for businesses and businesses and everybody else to actually do this, that professional sports may lead the way. And uh, my guess is that there's a lot of people going to be looking at how Major League Baseball and the NFL and the NHL and NBA do this um, in terms of how they're, uh, you know, how how are, they, how are people being housed? How are they being spread out? How are they working in, you know, in, in offices and things like that? Because there may be some answers here. Uh, there may be. We don't know that for sure. Right. Also, uh, the Jack Nicklaus uh, event this week uh, in Muirfield, uh, his golf course, a big event. Obviously, uh, they were to allow spectators in, but they announced yesterday uh, they had canceled that plan and that they would not. Uh, they would not have spectators in at the golf tournament. They were going to continue with what they had done the first four weeks. So, again, it's another consideration that, that they made. And also today was announced, or last night, actually, the young lady that was the number one draft choice in the WNBA, uh, she got the virus. And uh, she said that uh, uh, even though she's been recuperating, that uh, there's no way she'll be able to play at all. And the WNBA this year, that she'll have to wait until next year to give it a try. Uh, so, well, we'll just uh, every day, as you say, Roy, is a new day. Every day you learn something new. Uh, Brooklyn mm-hmm. International Basketball Association, two of their key players, uh, said over the weekend that they were out. They were not going to play. So, uh, so it, it's, it's, it's really hit or miss right now. We'll just have to wait and see. And you know what? Exactly. It's going to be like that right on through – uh, games starting up, you know, let's say we get, you know, let's, let's move two weeks down the road here and let's say we get to the 23rd and major league baseball is ready to go. And, uh, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see it change day to day. Um, you know, that's, I mean, look, and baseball's prepared for it. I mean, it's why they're going to have a, it's one of the reasons that they're going to have, uh, this, this 20 man taxi squad that they can pull from, uh, because, you know, on, on any given day, any team could lose any number of players. They could lose one to a, you know, to a positive right. test, they can lose, you know, half a dozen or a dozen to a positive test. So um, it's going to be the way it is right now with questions and people wondering, you know, where do we go from here and, and, and what's, you know, what does tomorrow bring? We're not going to know. We're not going to know probably all the way through the right. end of the season that uh, we're hoping we're going to see. And it's going to be the same with every sport. Uh, baseball, football is going to have it. You know, Bruce Arians here in Tampa, guys, came out this week and said, look, the players are going to get sick. They're all going to get sick. It's a matter of how sick do they get. And, you know, that's, that's about as – I don't know if that's as realistic as it can get, as pessimistic as it can get, but it's another comment from, you know, somebody who, you know, probably has a lot of information and knowledge as to, you know, how this thing is going to shake out. i got to believe that head coaches in the NFL have probably been as, as informed as anybody uh, in the country as to how, you know, to expect uh, – this thing to affect their players and if, if Bruce Arians is saying this is what's going to happen all the players are going to get sick it's just a matter of how sick are they going to get well that's that, that tells you something so uh, mm-hmm. well the other thing we could touch on the other thing we could touch on Roy and, and you know most for all the folks that are listening to us right now I think realize if they listened over the last few years 10 years or so that we've been doing this uh, the most of us are from, from Philadelphia even though Frank, who runs the program, is now in Sarasota, and 
has been for years, and I'm in Sarasota or New or New Jersey or whatever, and uh, you've been in Tampa covering the teams for, what, 25 years. Tommy's now in Tampa out of Cleveland and Philadelphia. But uh, a real story today, or yesterday actually, over the weekend, uh, Jackson does it again. <laughs> what can you say about – what can you possibly say about a guy – it does something like that. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Don, you're right. And and look, I have long said that I think the word unbelievable is the most overused word in the English language, <laughs> certainly in sports, but it is so appropriate here because I, you, 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 you just can't believe that at this time, with so much awareness about this kind of thing, <laughs> someone would come out and say what he said. And put it down, you know, in essence, he's put it down on paper because, look, that, we, you know, we don't, use, we don't use paper now anymore. We, we've got electronic paper, and that's what Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook and, and social media is. That's writing right, it down right. on paper. And, and, you know, in order to do that, take it from a guy who did it for a living, you've got to think about it. And for him mm-hmm. to, to have thought about the process and written it down, and probably looked it over to make sure that, you know, that I, didn't, I didn't misspell anything here, did I? <laughs> and still to well, right. hit the button and say, go. Right. Oh, my Lord. Well, it's a little unfortunate that this had to be the week that Roger wasn't with us because, uh, you know, the, the Philly papers, uh, the New York papers have really been inundated with the story. And, uh, yeah. you know, what should Jeffrey Lloyd do? Uh, should he suspend them? Should he fine them? Uh, the New York Post was all for suspending him, uh, say that, uh, you know, fine was not good enough, that he should be suspended uh, for a certain period of time. Uh, that's still to be decided. But as I say, you know, we're all from Philadelphia, really, and, and the Philadelphia area. And uh, the Eagles have been very close to, you know, what we've done all our lives. And, Frank, mm-hmm. you were a big part of it for so many years. How can a guy do something like this? <laughs> it's it's beyond me, Don. <laughs> yeah, right. and, and, look, I'll tell you how something. a guy can do this. Go, go ahead. As, Frank, as they said, as they said, the New York Post did it. Do you know who Hitler is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he may not. He, he, he might not believe any of that. You know, he may not believe in dinosaurs. And, you know, for all we know, and maybe he doesn't believe all this stuff. I, look, uh, you know, in order to say something like that, you have to believe something like that. And, you know, look, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of people, uh, you know, espousing their beliefs, and uh, they don't all jive with what uh, people like us seem to think. And, you know, uh, maybe he doesn't have any family members who lived through that. I I, I don't know. Um, You're right. It's hard to believe that someone at this day and age could put that out there. How about his convoluted answers? How about his – the answers that he gave after the thing was – you know, went out and publicized over the weekend and, and talked about and, and how about the answers that he gave? I mean, you can't believe this man could do something like this. Yeah, it, it, to me, it, it showed a complete lack of understanding of of the topic that he's talking about. He, he may mm-hmm. not understand at all what he's talking about. It'd be like me trying to explain physics. I, there's, there's no way in the world I could explain physics. I could even try to fake it, and I couldn't do it. Maybe he was trying to fake it and couldn't do it because what he's done is he's just exposed how ignorant he is, and 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 that's the bottom line. He's just he's ignorant. He's just ignorant. He should shut up. Mm-hmm. 
I, yeah, I couldn't agree uh, more. That, and Roy's right. I think one of the thing, the big thing is that many of these uh, professional athletes, especially in the football area, were pushed through school, pushed through high school, and pushed through college. And I, I, do they have a real grasp on life? No. Somebody's handling their money for them, maybe stealing from them, who knows. But they don't have, they do not have, and the hits they take in the head may have something to do with it. But when you do something like this, you just have to sit back and consider the source and try and figure out where do we go from here. And I yeah. think Mr. That's Lurie has point, a Frank. huge, he has a huge uh, um, debt to the city of Philadelphia and to his fans if he does not act. And that's, you know, that's my two cents. Great point. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what Lori decides to do. And, and you know, you, you're you're talking, as they put it out in the papers today, you're, you know, you're talking about uh, Lori's parents were Jewish, uh, Jewish parents and his general manager is, uh, is Jewish parents and Jewish himself. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like uh, you know, it's not like something that's not going to hit home. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, and it's, you know what? Look, I'm sure he's going to run into problems in his locker room. You know, certainly sure. he's going to run into problems outside of it. But uh, you know, again, I, I, Frank, I, I think you made a great point. I think <laughs> as fans, you know, it, it, look, we know these players. We deal with them on a daily basis. We know. Certain guys are very smart. Some aren't. We know that some of them have been educated. You know, some really mm-hmm. took – some of them, you know, in the NFL, they all had to go to college to some degree. Some of them took it seriously and, you know, worked to get a degree and and, and, and are very educated. Uh, you, you can't paint, paint them all with a brush. That's that's for sure. But you know what? There are players who kind of floated through and, um, you know, and, and didn't get higher education. Uh, they may have had the opportunity and ignored the, the opportunity, squandered it. Who knows? Um, but, you know, you find out about that when they kind of open up like this and say something mm-hmm. that just shows how, you know, unaware they are. And Great. people like that should probably just, just pipe down and not say anything. But you know what? Maybe they're not smart enough to realize that they're making that kind of a mistake. You, you hate that. Well, it's kind it's, of it's one thing, Roy, to look. say you come out of school and you're first or second year pro. And as Frank said, you've been pushed all over. But this young fellow is 31 years old. I mean, he's not yeah. a, a, a a young pro. And, uh, and, and, and so that makes it a little yeah, bit and, and, <laughs> Right. And and not only that, but it's not like he's been, you know, uh, sheltered with one team all of his all of his life. You know, he's bounced around, right. you know, three, four teams hey. here. And uh, been with different head coaches and obviously different owners. And, and by the way, at least two of the owners he's worked for now are <laughs> We're, we're Jewish, are Jewish. So, again, mm-hmm. like, these people paid you a lot of money. You know? So, uh, again, it, it's just, it, to me, it's it's a complete lack of understanding and awareness. And he's needs someone in his camp to explain it to him. But, hey, you know what? Look, we got, we got a president who, who doesn't seem to have a filter either. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Well, let's go back to let's go back to Tommy Spalowick. He's been really quiet on this subject. Let's, Tommy, you talked about it. Open it up about the National Hockey League getting underway and getting started. Your opinion of uh, the training camp and are they going to be able to legitimately, you know, put the product they want to put on the product when the tournament begins? That's a good question, Don. Like on my my iPad with. 
Coach Matthews has joined us, Tommy. Okay. Hey, good, Coach. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing great. How's everybody doing? Well, well we could be better. <laughs> I'm excited. Hockey and baseball are back, Bill. So, hey, Don, we, we to your point right there. I think Roy could probably chime in on this, too. I think this play of hockey will be like that of an all-star game. They can't go into scrums. They can't fight. So, it'll be like a it's be like all-star hockey with the teams that can't go, wait, go a corner, bump them, but there'd be no scrums that way. And that's why your Lightning has the advantage, guys. They got to play. The players that that, that are finished, Kucherov, uh, Alex Gorin's having a good year. Uh, of course, Stamkos is coming back, and that's going to be a that's going to be a key. And right now, they can sit watch these teams play each other in the first round of Eastern Conference Eastern Conference playoffs. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because Boston, Lightning, Philadelphia, and Washington are, are have the buys because they're the top four teams in in the, in, the, in the East. So, yeah, the other teams are battling out and. We'll see what see what happens. Can John Tortorella have a have a chance to win? Can you know like there's a lot of good teams, a lot of good teams, and a lot of teams I'm questioned about. You put the New York teams in there, the Islanders and Rangers, and you put Montreal in there, Toronto. Well, you know that is because the, the, the Hockey Hall of Fame is in Toronto, and they want to be in Toronto. And that's the thing about that. And the the New York teams, well, you got to have the, the New York teams because you. Your office is in New York, so those kind of those are like favoritism right there, guys. So that's my two cents worth, and I got to credit Gary Bettman, our commissioner, because Gary Bettman back in '05, Don and everybody, he never got never sat down with the other side. So and, and guess who won the cup that following year? I mean, guess what, before that happened was the Tampa Bay Lightning, and so we had the cup for basically a year and a half out there. But Bettman is learning right now. Uh, He's learning right now how to run this league, and, and thank God he's the first first player, first commissioner to get this thing off the ground. And he signed, get his players signed a four-year uh, collective bargaining agreement. So uh, at the table today too. So way to go, Mister Gary Bettman. You're my hero. Once well, Roy, you've been you you've been covering hockey for a long time down there in Toronto since the day the Lightning came to town, and uh, you've seen training camps, you've seen regular season, you've seen playoffs. Uh, before we swing to baseball and Bill, uh, your evaluation of how they're going to how they're going to approach this and is it going to be successful? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, look, everything is an experiment. There's no doubt about it. Baseball is going into an, an experiment with a 60 game season. The NHL obviously going to have its own experiment. You know, Tommy alluded to it. You know, they're going to try to they're going to avoid. You know, they're not going to fight. Um, but you don't see too many fights in, in the playoffs anyway. You do see a lot of hitting. Uh, you do see a lot of, you know, you see scrums and stuff. They're going to try to break those up. But, you know, we got to see how that works out. But, you know, there's a lot of things different. You know, all of a sudden you're going to be going from, you know, basically, you know, the, the first step right into the playoffs. Can you build the intensity right away? Who can build the intensity right away and, and develop that? If, if you can't, you're going to fall behind and, and probably, you know, suffer as a result of it uh, if you can't build up the intensity level for your, you know, within your team right away and, and match the other teams if they've got it. Um, that's going to be interesting to see. The other thing to watch, guys, every team's gotten healthy pretty much. Um, you know, unfortunately, well, Philadelphia is not going uh, to have one of its stars. But most of the teams, you know, are, are going to be healthy. Uh, Toronto's gotten healthy. As Tommy alluded, uh, John Tortorella's team in Columbus is going to be healthy. 
they're getting back some very important players on that team. So uh, how these teams look on paper is going to be much different than they, how they looked at the end of uh, regular, at the, you know, when everything got shut down. So uh, right. how, what does that mean as to how they look when they actually start playing games again? Um, again, hard to know. Uh, they, they're having, they're, they're fortunate that they're getting plenty of time on the ice to get going. That's going to make it good. Um, but it's, I'll tell you what, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch, and it's going to be very hard to predict. You know, Tommy thinks that skilled teams like, like the Lightning and, and maybe Toronto are going to have an edge. I'm not so sure. Um, we'll see. Uh, you know, it's hard to know. Uh, I still think it's a goaltender's game, and, you know, which goalie comes back after this kind of a, a layoff and look sharpest earliest. Uh, the shooters may have the big edge here. So we'll see. Uh, can't wait to see it happen. I can tell you that. Same here, Roy. Roy, thank you for your time. All right. All. Well, well, we'll switch gears now and because and, Bill's been with us now uh, holding on there for a few minutes, but I want to give Roy a chance to finish out that first half hour. Roy, thank you very much as always. Bill, welcome back to the show as always. And, uh, What's your first point of order that you think as we look ahead to the possible, possible baseball season? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's uh, – I wish I was a prognosticator. I wish I had a crystal ball. I wish I had a swami <laughs> hat. Um, it's not looking good, I'll be honest. Um, oh, I think the, the, the pace of the testing coming back is a real problem. Um, I think the fact that guys are having to cancel workouts is is another problem. Um, I think the fact that teams are making decisions to hold back older guys, quote-unquote, uh, including one of my classmates, Billy Evers, who's the bench coach with the Twins, and not let them go to, to, to the site of competition for the whole season. Um, I think all of this kind of pre- is a precursor to what may happen. You know, Major League Baseball is in a tough spot right now. They either make the decision to not start at all after all the mayhem that we went through for months, or do they start, get to the point where they're three weeks from the end, and all of a sudden competitive equity becomes an issue because one team has six starters and two relievers, starter position players and two relievers who have COVID, and then they have to shut it down. You know, what's the better option? Well, the fans are already upset. So I think the better option is to shut it down before it starts because you're mm-hmm. going to have to eat a lot of crow if you start it up and, and, and nothing happens. Well, Bill, two things I'd like you to address because you baseball spent your life. You've been coached. You, you know, you, you work in the press box. You you the official score for uh, the Lightning games. I mean, baseball has been your life forever. And uh, yep. so nobody knows better what preparation means. And, and uh, but, but go ahead. No, I, 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 I pre- preparation is huge, especially from the fact that these guys have been hitting in their garage and throwing in their neighborhood park with their younger brother. <clears throat> they haven't been working out with big league players. Um, I was sorry to see Tanaka get hit, but that's going to happen. That that had nothing to do with COVID. That had nothing to do with Yeah, but does that a little careless not to use the screen? You know, I mean, uh, you know, the uh, next day they put the screen up right away. But I, I thought that I, – I thought somebody should have been challenged a little bit on that, that they didn't have that screen up. It's a pitcher's choice. And if you watch uh, Sports Center today, 
they were in uh, somebody's – oh, Astros camp. Astros were doing a, uh, a mini game, and the L screen was off to the side of the mound, and the guy mm-hmm. was on the bump throwing strikes, and a ball got hit up the middle and right through his legs. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a pitcher's choice. A lot of guys can't throw with that L screen in front of them. It's just a psychological barrier. But that has nothing to do with the, with the virus, nothing to do with, with the time off. That's just the choice. That happens all the time. It just gets pumped up now because everybody's looking for every little ding and dent that they can present. Tommy? Bill, what do you think about the, the Rays this year? Everybody's picking them for the short season to win the World Series. So i got to agree with them because like Kevin Cash, these guys got confidence and momentum from last year. Uh, to, to get in the, the host of Houston Astros in a division round playoffs, that was fantastic. And that initiative beat the Astros. I think the Rays are going to come out hungry this year. I know it's a 60 game season, guys. who have come out hungry. And I think David, I think uh, Kevin Cash will lead these guys to the promised land in the World Series this year. Man, I love your enthusiasm. I could listen to your enthusiasm 24 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, <laughs> I, I think they have, I think they have a lot of holes. They got, they got a lot of guys. They have to figure out if right. they can fit. Um, if if they get guys healthy who were a little dinged up last year, uh, Brandon Lau being one of them. Um, Sasugo is putting a show on every day when he hits. Um, I think they need to get some strength behind um, behind the plate. Uh, Zanino's a great guy. Loved him when he was at UF. Um, but, you know, is he an everyday big league catcher? He's an everyday big league catcher if you play twice a week, but he's not an everyday big league catcher if you play six times a week. So they they got to get a quality backup. They have to find that. Um, Pitching-wise, you know, they could be pretty darn good. Um, they still hurt. Yeah, you know, and Bill, they're also pretty deep in the pitching area too, which is uh, you know always a big advantage, especially when you're only playing you know this few games, uh, sixty games. If you got a lot of pitching, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, no doubt. And then you know it's going to be like a college schedule. You're going to see Charlie mm-hmm. Morton every Friday night, whether he needs to throw or not. You're going to see him out there. It's going to be just like being in college again. He's going to be on a nice rest schedule. He's going to pop up and he's going to throw. He'll get uh, 14 starts, and if they hit behind him, he could go 11-3. and three. Um, Maybe better. I don't know. That's a little bit of a push. But it's, it's, a, it's a short season. You know, I'm just concerned about whether or not all this – I mean, it's crazy in Florida right now. It is mm-hmm. absolutely crazy. Another 10,000. Yeah, Frank said 10,000. Uh, yeah. We today, talked about that in the first half hour. Today, Ten thousand today, mm-hmm. ten thousand yeah. today. Mm. Yep. I mean, it's just absolutely—it's absolutely insane what's going on. Um, I, I leave my house, <clears throat> cut the grass, uh, to go out and work out, uh, to go to the grocery store every nine days. Um, I don't—I don't do anything. I mean, it's—I mm. I can't afford to. You know, I got the college going on. I got classes I got to teach. I got scoring I got to do. Um, we're not going to be reporting to the stadium. We're going to be scoring from home. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a whole new, different kind of look. At the You're not going to be scoring at the stadium. You're going to do it from the from TV. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh boy, that's a change. <laughs> There's something yep. for you. 
It's a <laughs> and I don't know how or why that decision was made. I'm not high enough up on the food chain, but they they're they're giving us all this technology. Uh, I got two oh, laptops wow. and an iPad. I'm going to be working off of those every night that I score. Um, I've become somewhat, even though I'm 63 and not of that generation, I've become a little. Uh, I'm a little proud of myself because I've uh, I've figured out how to uh, multitask with technology, <laughs> which I never thought I'd be able to. Do. That's right. Never, ever, never, ever did I think I'd be able to do that. Hey, Bill, one thing we missed. You got a a young man that's going to challenge the – he is going to challenge the the virus 100%, and that's Cowboy Joe West. Let's talk a little bit about Cowboy because he's only a few (laughs) guys. I think 67, if I'm not mistaken. He he won't be able to make it this year doing the 60 games. But he will be able to make it early next year to be the all-time leading umpire in the history of baseball. So, uh, but he's, he's challenging the virus. He said, I don't care about the virus. I'll be there and I'll be up. Well, you know, <laughs> what do you, what do you say? I mean, what, what do you say about Joe West? Joe West is, uh, he's outspoken. He's, um, unpredictable. He's, um, narcissistic. I, he's confident. He's all of the above. He needs 65 games. That's all he needs. So if he works every single night without taking time off, you know, they get three weeks off during the, during the season. If he works right. every single night, he'll get 60 games, and then he'll, he'll work five next year. But, you know, Joe, will be, he'll, as long as they'll keep him, he'll keep going. He's, uh, well, he was he's, quoted today in the New York Post. He said, I'm not walking away. He said, you know, it doesn't. Doesn't sound like he's thinking. They're going to have to take me off the field. He said, <laughs> "So somebody's got to, have to make a major decision next year and say, Joe, you can set the record. We'll keep you in there for maybe two or three or two, four, three, four or five weeks or whatever it takes." But uh, doesn't sound like Joe's going to step back and say, "I quit." Well, you, you know, know, somebody was talking to me about it today, and I said, "You know, the person I compare him to is George Blanda." But I had a lot more respect for George Blanda than I do for Joe West. Because George kept his mouth <laughs> shut and went to work every day. <laughs> well, Joe, Joe's got a backup. He can go sing country songs on his, like his record. <laughs> you know, yeah. he made the, you those recordings. Of it. <laughs> Have you ever listened to one of those recordings? Very entertaining. <laughs> Very entertaining. You know, I, I, I don't know who to pick. Honestly, I don't know who to pick in baseball. Um, there's a lot of great teams. I think the Mets are going to be a surprise. Um, I think Dusty's going to do a nice job with the Astros. Right. Um, and without fans, you know, how blessed are they to have Bill, go, go back to Dusty for a minute because that was a major decision uh, that sure. they made in that regard. The fact that, uh, uh, you know, he said, well, with the problems that we've had uh, – we need somebody who's going to be able to go on the field and handle all these problems, and yet continue to manage the baseball team. And, and you right. got to say, I think they pick, I think they picked the right guy. Oh, there's no doubt. You know, he's got a great track record with players. He's a players manager. A lot of people question his late game strategy, uh, but you know, you can question strategy all you want when you're not in the dugout and you don't know who's dinged up and you don't know. Who's who just had a fight with their wife, or you don't know the little things that are going on in the background. You so you right. go with somebody else instead of going with the everyday guy. 
you know, unless you know those things, you can't question a, a late game strategy. But you know, Dusty's known to be a player's manager, and mm-hmm. <laughs> they're blessed not to have fans. They're not going to have to listen to anybody anywhere. <laughs> what are the odds? This was the time that fans could actually unload with reasonable care on a team, and now they can't do it. It's it's crazy how that worked out. Crazy. And I think the other manager, we go out to Los Angeles, I think the uh, the Angels, the way he's handled the situation with the virus, with the players, uh, with the attitude of what's going to have to happen in the clubhouse, I think he's done another masterful job. He did a great job in Tampa. He did a good job in, in Chicago. And I think he'll, even at 61, I think he'll do a good job with the Angels. But I thought he, he really put it all right on the table right from the beginning. You owe it to your teammates to do this right. 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 Hey, so he's uh, he's got the uh, he's got the talent. I hope I hope Trout decides to play. I think that's still up in the air. Um, if you take yeah, Trout it is out of right. Lineup, if you take Trout out of that lineup, it's a different team. It's not a bad right. team. But it's a different team. Hey, Bill, how about well, you he's got a really it? tough decision because uh, Bill, he his you know, his wife is pregnant. And right. uh, if he if he gets into it, decides to play the sixty games, uh, you know he's going to be isolated away from the family for what at least uh, ten weeks, twelve weeks, and uh, that, that's a that's a tough decision to make at this time. Sure, and you know the problem everybody faces, it's the problem we face right now, trying to decide what to do with students coming back to college. It's not the it's not the athletes that you worry about. It's the people that the athletes come in contact with who have nothing to lose who right. are going to transmit the virus. That's who you have to worry about. Mm-hmm. Tommy? I have to agree with you. I agree with you about that. The only thing, you know, it's, it's going to feel weird to see a game at the trot. And knowing all those years that I always come up late, <laughs> I always come up in the second or third inning to see, and yep. the Dukes. Dukes had the hot dog for us up there and that, and yep. RV was up there, Dave Howard. I, I, I miss the camaraderie of that, Bill. That was that was the highlight of going to the games. You talk to RV always wanted to talk to me and that. And, of course, you come up to see you and, and, and then Dave Howard and everybody else in the Reeves PR staff up there. But but getting back to golf, I got a, I got a funny story for you, right? Well, you know, like, the, well, my, I went to college in Ohio for about a year. My dad was a consultant for building a ship, Am Ship. And you, you know who owned Am Ship? It was George yes, Steinberger. Yep. So anyway, he's from, he's from Lorraine, Ohio. So my dad had a heart attack up there. So my mom had to go in the office and, and take care of the paperwork. Everybody said, Mr. Steinberg is coming here. Hi, Mr. Steinberg. Hi, Mr. Steinberg. My mother said to him, who are you? Don't say that. Oh, when I heard that, I started to put no, the last story. I said, Mr. Steinberg, I'm, I apologize for, you know, like the, I'm from Lorraine, Ohio, spent time in Lorraine and, and got a great, great shipyard up there. My dad consultant shipped back in 76. And, oh, we did. And my, and my mother apologized when master apologized. So she, she said, who didn't know, she didn't know who you were. So apology accepted. He said, and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Bill, the last time you were on was we had a chance to talk about the new rules. And, again, that's been, what, three or four weeks ago. We didn't even know if there was going to be a baseball season or they were going to try to be a, have a baseball season. How about if you go over just uh, briefly some of the new 
rules that are involved and how they affect you and some of the technician problems and so forth. Yeah, you know, um, I think the biggest rule change in my eyes is the fact that when a pitcher comes into the game, he's got to face three batters. Um, that's going to present some interesting strategical decisions for managers, but you're going to let you're going to see a lot of guys swinging away because the bunt has really been taken out of play by adding the DH for everybody. I think that's that's the number one biggest change. The second biggest change is the uh, Florida Junior College rule, as I call it, because we've been doing it. In, they've been doing it in junior colleges in Florida for 20 years. In the 10th inning, you put a runner, the guy who made the last out of the previous inning at second base, and you play it out until somebody wins. Well, the major league rule has adapted it a little bit. It doesn't matter who gives up the base hit to score that guy. The loss is going to go to the guy that started the inning. Ooh. So it doesn't matter what happens. If the guy who starts the inning strikes out two and they pull him out and put somebody else in, Wow. And that guy gives up a base hit to give up that run. It's the loss is going to go to the guy who started the inning. The run is Oof. going to be unearned every time. It's going to be unearned. But the reason they're doing it is to prevent anybody from arguing about well, how do you reconstruct the inning when you put the guy at second base without anything happening? You're exactly right. That's why we're not going to do it. That's why the guy that starts the tenth inning is going to get the loss when that run scores. Wow. If he scores in the 10th. If he scores in the 10th. Well, the other thing I'd like you to address, Phil, is the, uh, the designated here. You touched on it right there, that it's going to be used yep. uh, during the 60-game stretch. Uh, all the years that you coached, I, 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 to be honest with you, I'm a little on the fence now. I was, I'm a, I've been a National League all my life, so I, 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 was, I was never in favor of the designated hitter. But – as I said on this show a couple of weeks ago, the thing that changed my mind was a story in the New York Post a few weeks back. And when you think of the kids playing Little League Baseball, high school baseball, American Legion Baseball, college baseball, and you don't hit, and then you put them in the major leagues and you say to them, okay, you're going to play 12 games or 14 games or whatever it may be against a team that, that you have to hit. And the, the actual danger of doing that, uh, I didn't think about it in that sense, because you can't bunt. None of these guys can bunt, so you forget that. And So you either go up there and take three strikes, or you just flail at the air. Uh, so I'm becoming a little bit more on the other side now. I, I think maybe the designated hitter is okay. What do you think? Well, here's another stat that nobody looks at. If you look at the pitchers in the National League in total – and you see the percentage of guys who throw left and bat right or throw right and bat left. Right. It's astounding. It's like 60 plus, 60 plus percent. Well, with that being said, if you're a left-handed thrower and you're going to hit right-handed, that left elbow is exposed over the plate. And it's the first mm-hmm. thing the pitcher sees. It becomes a dangerous perspective, especially when you don't give guys a chance to take some BP because the season is so abbreviated. So I think it's a good decision for safety purposes more than anything well, I'll else. Well, I was never, uh, yeah, like I said, I grew up all my life being a National League fan, covering National League teams. Uh, I was never favored as a hitter. But as soon as they changed all the rules now, they're changing me. 
because I can't imagine it going through a, a college season because a lot of times your best players in high school are shortstops or they pitch and they play shortstop. So they only get to hit one or a shortstop. I mean, it doesn't make sense to make them go up and play in the major leagues and get yourself into a situation where you're hitting against the best players in the history of the game. Yeah, well, you get the option to list them as one DH and they can hit for themselves. You can go with a nine-man lineup. You can list the pitcher as one slash DH, and he can hit for himself. Even if he's replaced on the mound, he can stay in the game as the DH. Right. So that's well, an option as well. Yeah. What What is your evaluation of these, you know, uh, special rules are putting in, as you just indicated, runners on second base? Uh, how are you going to cover first base? How are you going to cover first base with a runner on if you can't be within two or three feet of them? What are you going to do about that? <laughs> well, incidental contact is, is, going, to, is going to be unavoidable. Uh, guys running down the first baseline, pitchers going to cover the bag, it's going to be it's going to be unavoidable. So there's nothing they can do about that. I think the special rules initially were probably put in for the fans, but now that we have no fans, um, the, the the rules are, are are still put in for the enjoyment of the game and to get more offense. Because if you get people sitting at home and the game's no good, they can flip to something else. If you got them in the stadium, right. they're not going to leave right. because they paid. Because they paid eighty five dollars for a ticket, they're going to stay. But when they're at home, they better have something to entertain themselves. Because if they don't, you're going to lose them. No, you, I right. tell you, you give you give Ernie Lombardi three steps, <laughs> even he could steal a base. Most people, by the way, most people listening show don't even know who Ernie Lombardi is. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Here's man, a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame ten times over. Uh oh. Yeah. Like what what is the old Phillies Clay Downfall had that great speed, not going <laughs> 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 try to beat out a single equal did that, but but Bill, I think it's gonna be a great year for baseball. I don't care if sixty games or not Don and I and Frank are off gonna ask about baseball. I don't care if it's sixty games. Or whatever, Bill. I, I got so involved watching the Korean baseball. <laughs> oh yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. And it it, it was it was well. Fun I I gotta tell you, I I I'm not looking forward to it. I I wanted them to cancel the whole season from the beginning. I'm still hoping that they will cancel the whole season. I think this gimmick they're putting on now, uh, just to get to the playoffs and get all the TV money in. Uh, right. I, I I just I don't agree with it. I, I don't think. I don't think the rules that they're going to play under, uh, I, to me, it, it's just not baseball. And, uh, Bill, I, I, I don't know, you, you, you see it every day, more, even more than I do now. I used to see it every day, not anymore. But uh, what do you think? What, what is your honest opinion of, of what's going on? I, I think I've become um, callous to the way of baseball, and it's, it's, it's all about the money. I mean, you used to be able to get a hot dog and a beer for two fifty. Now you get right. a hot dog and a beer for fifteen fifty. You know <laughs> that that in it, that in itself is a nutshell of what the game is. If no. you're going to pay fifteen fifty for a hot dog and a beer, yeah. holy mackerel! Why are you paying that much? Well, you're paying that much because the owners, in a fit of greed, want the best players. Right. And how do you get the best players? You pay them the most money. 
How do you get the most right. money? There you go. That's where it comes from. And, and it's, right. it's, kind of a, it's a sad reflection on the game, but I think that's really the way the game is now. It, and we saw it. But, you know, I'm kind of callous to it because I'm used to it. I know that's what's going to happen. It's, we don't do it for the fun of it anymore. I mean, you're even going to start mm-hmm. paying college players whenever college athletics starts up again. The NCAA passed yep. that. You can now pay college players. How are you oh, going to wow. pay them? What are you going to pay them? That's still to be determined. What's the scale mm-hmm. going to be? But it's now become money. It's all about money. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So I saw a thing in the paper today that there's a coin shortage in the United States. Oh, I said to my wife, there's no surprise to that because everybody's throwing around 20s and 50s. No wonder there's no surprise. <laughs> you're right. I mean, right. You're, abs- you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh, I got a, I got a very good friend of mine who owns a little what's or that here in town, and uh, you know the, the school's right across the street, and the parents don't give lunch to go to school with because they don't have a cafeteria. They and they'll go into his little what's or that and give him fifty dollar bill, and they're in third <laughs> grade, boy. fourth grade. You know, yeah. uh, it's un- it's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, it's, that's, that's, it, that's, you know, my my opinion of the game hasn't really changed. I still think it's a great game. I think guys that play right. love it. Mm-hmm. But when when you're going to find a guy like Patrick Mahomes and you're going to pay Patrick Mahomes, who's won a Super Bowl, $450 million over a 10-year time period, he's only played, he's only played two seasons in the NFL. You're going to pay him $450 million? So what are you going to pay Mike Trout, who plays 150-ish games a year? That's right. How are you going to pay him? What are you going to you going to pay him a billion? Because he's playing a lot more games than Mahomes is playing. Where does it end? That's my question. Where where does all this? Well, end? I'll tell you. One of the most disappointing things to me was because they've now the, there's not going to be any minor leagues the way we used to know it, because it was a lot of fun and in the last I mean, I'm very close to the. Uh, you know, the Phillies might only uh, uh, set up here down the shore. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, I, I was looking forward to going to minor league games, to be honest with you, but there's not going to be any minor league games. Because sure. sure. uh, sure. it, it was a lot of fun. You, you know, we uh, I lived lived in the Trenton, and the Red Sox were the farm team originally, and then they went to the Yankees now. And, uh, you know, my kids, they'd go to the games, you know, for – Three, four, five. I get a hot dog and a, a, a soda. And everything. You walk out, you haven't spent twenty-five bucks. Okay. So with, with, <laughs> now you, now you go to a stadium. You better take five hundred with you because if I tell you if I had a, a, a hot dog, a whatever, it's unbelievable. I don't know how families are doing it. I really don't. I don't know how they do it. Great deal, Jeff. Well, it's going to be easier for them this year for sure because they can just sit at home and do whatever it is they normally do and, uh, and, and watch Great. it on TV. From my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the eight-second delay that I'm going to get on TV. Uh, MLB's mm. worked fast video for us, so maybe we can watch the game and it'll only be on a two-second delay, which would be great. Uh, but the delay is what really worries me as a scorer because if I get eight seconds after the play actually happened and it takes me ten seconds to decipher it, now we're at, say, roughly 20 seconds before I can – we have to use a special communication uh, messaging system called Slack. And we'll get that, get that back to a person in the stadium 
who can make the announcement of our decision. Well, what if what if it's 24 seconds and the first pitch has already been thrown to the next batter and that batter mm-hmm. hits a ground ball, which is obviously kicked by an infielder, and the guy who takes my notation from the previous batter says, that was a base hit, people are going to be going, what the hell is this guy <laughs> What is he drinking at home? <laughs> what, what game is he watching? Uh-oh. So I'm a little concerned. I'm concerned about the delay, to be honest with you. Well, the, the one thing uh, uh, one thing I was in favor of, Bill, and I don't know whether we talked about this the last time you were wrong with us, and that was uh, the time they're allowed to challenge uh, uh, an umpire's yeah, decision. Yeah, I think. I, I, I mean, I just thought that was interminable. I, I think twenty seconds is plenty of time to determine whether. I mean, everybody in the stands knows whether the guy was safe or out, and they're still looking at it. Yeah, because they don't want to waste the challenge. 30 seconds is, is, is an eternity. 20 seconds is right. manageable. I, I, I'm, I'm really in favor of that, for sure. Wow. I can't I'm believe also that. I'm in favor of opening up the, uh, the roster in September to everybody who lives within a 50-mile radius of the stadium. I'm really in favor of that. Um, that got that crazy, man, bringing in 40 guys in September. It's like watching a spring training game. Now they're going to be restricted to 28. It's going to be a little bit better. Well, see, I thought that was unfair, to be honest with you. All those years, Bill, that uh, that they allowed teams to pump up. Uh, you know, I mean, a team like the Yankees can bring five guys that could actually be played on the major league roster, and, and they bring them up as, uh, as extra players, and everybody else is struggling to get their team on the field. I always thought sure. that was an unjust rule to begin with. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Bill, well, thank you for. You know, your, they don't worry about that. it anymore. Twenty-eight now. I don't know if it's going to stay oh. that way, but that's where it is right now. Uh, right. Bill, thank you so much for your time tonight. Always a pleasure. You, you, that's all mine. I love job. talking. Every opportunity <laughs> I can get to talk to you guys, I'll take it. Oh, okay. thank you, Bill. Well, I want to start you after they play that first couple of games. I want to know what your reaction <laughs> is to the scoring your game, watching it on television. I want to. I want to get oh, your yeah, reaction that on that. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. I've always wondered if I could ever get paid for sitting on my couch. I'm about to find out. Well, <laughs> Bill, you're, you're, you're a terrific guest every time you come on. We learn a lot having a chance to talk with you, and thank you so very, very much. All right, guys. Thank you, Bill. you guys take care and stay well. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bill. Well, Don, it's time for Mike Simzak coming on. Mike, are you with us? I am here. Gentlemen, if you hear an explosion in the background, it's just because my father is over here doing some work on that condo. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. You got, a little bit of, you got a little bit of news to talk about today. Atlanta made news today. Uh, uh, MLS has made a lot of news in the last couple of days. And uh, uh, maybe you fill some of the people in that are listening that don't follow the soccer that closely, and whether it's abroad or whether it's here. But MLS certainly, first of all, because that's right right here in the, in, in the area where Tommy is, the tournament's supposed to be taking place. Only one team's not going to be there. Well, let's start with that, Diop. The first game is just about to start right now. Um, I think it was scheduled to start at like 8, but, you know, pregame festivities and all. They're just about to kick off now. The teams are lining up, and we're about to get underway with uh, Orlando City FC and uh, Inter-Miami playing the first game. 
Uh, meanwhile, uh, one of the early games that was supposed to be played, I believe, today was uh, Nashville, and they've had to postpone their game against Chicago uh, because they had five players or six players, I believe it was, test positive right. since they've been in Orlando. So they had uh, five, uh, five players. Two of them received um, the results during the weekend and uh, three last night. So their game has been postponed. Uh, FC Dallas had uh, 13 that tested positive. So they didn't even travel. They've withdrawn entirely from the tournament. DC United's game has had to be pushed back uh, till the 12th because Toronto FC couldn't get, to ta- couldn't get into Orlando. So all sorts of stuff trying to get this tournament underway. The uh, Philadelphia Union will kick off their game uh, tomorrow at 9 a.m. So they're going to play one at 9 and then one at 8 p.m. I had originally thought they were going to play them uh, later on, but it looks like they're playing at 9 and then 8. Looking at the setup, it looks like they've got two fields side-by-side that they can play on. So I don't know if they're going to play them all on the same field or they're just going to alternate fields. I don't know how that's going to work. And basically all of the teams, all 26 or 25 of the teams that are there, are all staying in one resort. Now they all have their own separate uh, facilities, meeting rooms. Uh, They all have, I guess, a floor or a separate section of the hotels, but there are some common areas, which is what the problem with, uh, say, Nashville's results were because once you have this sort of biosecure environment and then somebody tests positive in it, you've got a big problem. So uh, it bears watching to see just how long this tournament is even going to go on, if they're even going to be able to get out of the group stages with it. But uh, the hope is that they will. Um, A couple of major players, uh, most notably Carlos Vela, the uh, all-world forward from LAFC, pulled out and said that he wasn't going to go. So that puts them at a severe disadvantage. You know, fortunately for the Philadelphia Union, it seems like they're one of the few teams that showed up with everybody healthy and everybody willing to play. Mm. It's shocking when you think about that. But, you know, Mike, thank God the MSL is kicking off. You know why they're kicking off in Orlando? Well, guess who owns the four-letter network? Well, yeah, and Orlando and Wide World of ESPN and Disney were one of the few facilities that could have it. There was never really a question of whether or not they were going to be there at the facility. You know, so many of them go down there for training camp anyway, so it wasn't as big a deal. There's plenty of hotel space that's not being used. Um, There's plenty of access. They have the fields. They have the facilities to host all of them. So it makes sense for them to be playing this tournament down there. I was a little bit concerned when you saw the uptick in cases in Florida that they might reevaluate that decision, but it looks like it was too close to, um, it was just too close to kick off and it was logistically impossible at this point to make other arrangements. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's, Let that's me ask you nice. about this. You mentioned the starting ties for these games. Uh, you know, I just left Florida to come home and boy, I'll tell you, every day was 92, 93 degrees. You know, and you're, as I understand it, you're much better qualified than I. I mean, I don't care whether you start nine thirty in the morning or whether you play evening games or what. I mean, you got to play what every other day in that heat. What do you think? 
Well, they're going to be playing. Um, they're going to be playing games uh, in the morning and at night when temperatures tend to be a little bit cooler. If the plan is anything like we've seen in the other leagues, they're going to stop once a half, about midway through each half, for a water break, um, and then go. And I know the heat is rough in Florida, but make no mistake about it. You know, most of these guys play at least once, sometimes twice or, or three or more times in Florida every year in between, you know, having to play Orlando and having to play now mm-hmm. in or Miami. So they're, you know, you've got a lot of uh, South Americans. You've got a lot of guys who are used to playing in the heat. And so I don't think that's going to be as major an issue. They'll, they'll take the hydration breaks um, okay. and try and keep the games, you know, in the morning and at night to sort of mitigate the effects of the heat. But if they needed to play 90 minutes in the heat, they could do it. You know, they play games in during the daytime in outdoor stadiums in, in Dallas and in Houston and in Southern California and in Florida and, you know, one of the few, I guess you could say, like, super warm weather sort of environments where they don't actually play outdoors is Atlanta. But I've been to plenty of union games in the summer where it got really, 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 really super hot. And so the guys are kind of used to as a summer sport, just like they are in baseball. They're used to playing. Yeah, but, Mike, they, were, they don't play every other day. I mean, is, is this tournament baseball playing every other day? Well, it's based, not every other day. One, the, once every, um, the most they'll play is once every 72 hours. And they will, you know, in August and September, they'll come close to that. They'll play a game on Saturday and then another game on Wednesday. So they, 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 come, okay. they can come pretty close to that. And wow. if they were playing in the World Cup or something like that, that would be the schedule that they were on. In fact, this is pretty much the same exact, world, the same exact schedule that you would see if they played in the World Cup or if they were playing um, the Gold Cup in the summer, any one of the summer tournaments. This is pretty much the exact okay. same schedule that they would be I didn't realize that. Okay. the exact same kind of year. Yeah, yeah, one one thing we're not taking into consideration is in Orlando, being, being in the center of the state, getting the uh, sometimes cool breeze from the Atlantic Ocean and the, the heat coming out of the Gulf, there are daily uh, uh, rain showers and sometimes very dangerous uh, electrical showers. Uh, have they taken it, that into consideration, Mike? Uh, the same thing. As long as it's raining, not light, lightning, uh, if it's raining, they'll play. I mean, right. trust me, I've been to a game in Philadelphia in a doggone monsoon. So <laughs> I know if it's raining, they will play. Um, if it's lightning, it has to, in the area, they have to leave the field. Uh, and there has to be no lightning for at least 30 minutes before they can come on. Again, these are standard procedures for MLS and soccer in general. Um, I have been through both uh, a major rainstorm where it was just pouring down rain. I mean, it was raining sideways, and they were still playing. Right. And I've been through one that was delayed by lightning. They get everybody into off the field and out into an enclosed area, and they wait until the lightning clears for 30 minutes, and then they'll go back, they'll pick up the game wherever it was. Now, Mike, are they, all these games going to be played on natural grass? It sure looks like it. 
Um, as far as I can tell, this looks very much to me like a natural grass surface that they've got. There. Yeah, it's natural grass. So all the games will be played on natural grass. Okay, well, that's, that's good. That's good. Like, you know, how much publicity will the MSL get from playing, those, playing the tournament down here in down here in Orlando? And you know how much would the publicity they would get after the game? Could could they go go as a team to Disney World or or one of the Disney resorts? That's a, that's a question of the day. Well, they already have a team in Orlando, so that they just built a stadium for. So I doubt they're going to move them anytime soon. I think it's good publicity because this is the first, um, you know, major, big, whatever you want to call it in the realm of American sports, this is the first American professional men's sporting league that has started up. You know, there was a big thing on the Philadelphia Union saying how they were the first team uh, since the shutdown to represent Philly. So it, there's a boost there. This is the first time that we've had American sports back, and they're kind of leading the way with this. So there is something to be said about that. The games are all are they gonna are they gonna allow any fans? No, not a one. No fans. Okay. No fans at all. You won't have fans. Okay. And, and I doubt even when the season – look, I doubt that you're going to see fans in stadiums in the United States much before the beginning of um, – uh, much before 2021. Like, I just don't see how you would countenance having – 20, 30, 40, 100,000 people in that right. proximity in a stadium in, given this environment right now, number one. And, oh. and even if you did and you said, okay, we're only going to seat people every other seat, how do you determine who gets to see the game and what games they get to see? Mm. Right? Like, you know, you have teams whose season tickets are 75, 80%. And this doesn't go for MLS. This goes for everybody. Like 75, 80% of your stadium is, is, is season ticket holders. How do you determine which one of them gets to go to which games? That's a, that's Good, a question. Question. Good question. Good question. I have no idea. And since I, I can't imagine having to be the person to make that decision and tell Mr. You know, hey, you guys just spent, you know, $8,000 on season tickets. But mm-hmm. we're going to have to move you, and you, you bought these seats, but we're going to have to move you like six rows and, uh, back or 12 rows back into the other side of the stadium or something like that. You know, I don't want to be the one to make those calls, and I think it would be easier on everybody just to say, like, you know, athletes included. Like, we're just not going to do it this year. We'll see you next year. And I think mm-hmm. it only really, really would affect um, football because once – you know, we already know the NHL and the NBA are going to play in controlled environments. They're not going to play with fans. Major League Baseball has said they're not going to play with fans. It's only going to be football that's going to be affected. You know, if you look at the latest NHL plan, they're not even start talking about starting regular season until December. Maybe then mm-hmm. we can have the conversation about having fans in stadiums. Well, you've had a chance over the last week. Uh, it was one week ago. Uh, no, actually, two weeks ago. We chatted about it uh, on the show. We didn't have a show last week, obviously. But uh, the young 15-year-older that played, uh, what have you heard from uh, overseas? That uh, how did the how did the game react? How did he react? And what's the reaction to him playing at 15 years of age? 
Um, I'm not exactly sure which 15-year-old that we're talking about, but there were a couple. There's been a couple of teenagers that have been playing recently, and the reaction is always the same. It's like, hey, cool, <laughs> look at this kid. He's up. Yeah, um, I know that there was a kid who was playing in Vancouver, who was playing over in Germany, who's playing now. Uh, who who was playing in Vancouver? He's 18. He's playing in Germany. Um, there's a young kid who's actually the son of Claudio Reina, who's 17, who's playing in Germany for Borussia Dortmund, and they love him. So there's yeah, a couple of weeks ago, there. you talked about it when when you talked about the game. You said, and remember, and he, and it was a factor, as I remember. I don't know that he scored a goal or anything, but he was a he was oh, a yeah, factor in, was, in the uh, game, and he was 15. 16-year-old that I was talking about. Yeah, it was actually funny. He's 16, and he played today for uh, Real uh, for uh, Barcelona, and he came on for three minutes and then got sent off for a bad tackle for with a red card. But uh, mm. yeah, you're you're seeing these younger kids get it, but it's not as uncommon to see a 15, 16 year old in professional soccer as it would be in like basketball or something like that. I've seen uh, countless 16 year olds play. Um, I think when I saw Josie Altidore play for the first time for New York Red Bulls, he was. Uh, he was a junior in high school. He was 17 the first time I saw him play. So right. it, as, as unusual as it was for us with Freddie Adu becoming the youngest player to sign a professional contract over here, uh, it's actually not as unheard of. And one of the big issues is, like, you see these kids like Freddie Adu who come up at 16 and get into pro games, and everybody's like, wow, look at this. you got a 16-year-old. Uh, there was a 16-year-old who was play, who played a little bit for uh, for Atlanta United, Andrew Charlton, and everybody looks and says, "Oh, well, that's great." And then, you know, it, it's also how well do they develop um, later on? Uh, Kristen Pulisic is another one that comes to mind. He's playing at Chelsea right now. I think he was 17 when he got his senior debut for uh, Borussia Dortmund, and he's become a major player for uh, Chelsea uh, this year and has been scoring goals since they started to restart. So uh, it's interesting to see them when they play. And a lot of times it's enlightening because you have these kids and they're, they're kids and they look like kids and they're going up against grown men. And you can tell just the difference in maturity in between somebody who's like 30 and somebody who's 16. That's an interesting thought when you think about it, you know. And you know, I'm so glad that soccer's MISL is finally, you know, get to get to season off the air right now. So it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what about so, yeah, the Rowdies? And, well, the Rowdies I don't think the Rowdies are going to play this year. I, oh, I don't no. think that there's. I don't think that there's any provision for the Rowdies to play. And to be honest, I don't think they could because. The Rowdies and um, the USL, they don't really have any sort of television contract. Most of their money is made off of gate revenue. And if you can't play with fans in the stadium, how are you going to make money? And this is is something that's been faced by a lot of lower league teams in Europe and throughout the world. When there is no revenue, coming in from fans in the stands. When you can't sell tickets, how do you afford right. to, to play these games? And so I have not heard 
anything about the USL restarting. I doubt that the USL is going to play a season this year. I don't think financially they could because every time they open their doors and they would pay the players, it would cost them money. It would right. cause a number of those teams, which already aren't necessarily major rev- major revenue generators, to lose money. I think you would have bankruptcies up and down the whole scale it'll be interesting to see after this just how many teams are even left in usl whether or Mm -hmm. not they have the full complement up and down um there hasn't been any mention of you know the mls teams fielding youth teams who play the developmental teams that play in the in the um usl so I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but I think it would be highly doubtful that you would see a USL season. It would be highly doubtful that you would see a season from the Tampa Bay Rowdies, given the fact that so much of their their, their revenue is de- is uh, based on having on ticket sales, and they're not going to have that this year. Well, Mike's living halfway between with, uh, Baltimore and, and Washington, and, and really uh, on top of both of those cities, we're not. Uh, what's the reaction in uh, – in Baltimore and or Washington about uh, this baseball season getting underway. And I know they're, uh, they're already building up this first game where Schertz is going to pitch and, and they're going to, you know, they're really building up the television, <laughs> trying to build up the television audience. But what's the reaction in those two cities? Are they uh, as a city very much in favor of this thing getting going or are they apprehensive? I think in DC it's a little bit of excitement, but you did see the, uh, the Nats, shut down their training camp this weekend because of they had not gotten the results from their right. uh, coronavirus test, their COVID-19 tests. So they actually stopped playing. Now, back today, they got them. Uh, there wasn't any reports of anybody testing positive. That doesn't mean that nobody did. It just means that they didn't say anything. Around here, everybody's kind of excited to see the Nats get a chance to defend their their, uh, their title. Uh, I don't know what the feeling is like up in Baltimore. You know, I, I have a feeling that there are plenty of people in Baltimore who would rather see the O's not play because if they don't play, they can't lose. Boy, <laughs> hey Mike, what about the situation? The Washington Redskins want to change their name, all the pressure from the corporate sponsorship. So Daniel Snyder's got, got a little bit of a problem with this football team right now. He does, and um, I think it was. You know, it's no mistake that it is part, it is corporate uh, pressure. You're seeing major entities pull their 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 sponsorships. Um, FedEx, uh, Fred Smith is actually one of the minority owners, and he and the other two my, minority owners. So the other um, three of the minority owners who combined own 40% of the team. Uh, it mm. came out this week that they are looking to sell, and one of the big reasons is that they don't want to work with. Uh, Dan Snyder anymore. Fred Smith, who's the CEO of FedEx, basically said he's been pressuring them for years and he, he to uh, change the name, and he sent a letter, and then it came out that he was selling his shares, uh, and it's done. So they. Well, you've also got Tony Fred. You got Fred Kona, who's already said that he, who had been really non-committal, uh, he is mm-hmm. saying now that uh, he thinks the Indians' name should be changed. That uh, they should no longer use, uh, uh, you know, the, the Indian uh, uh, terminology for the Cleveland baseball team. And, of course, with Preston Marshall being taken down, 
uh, in Washington. That's another, you know, that's another big issue, as you say. And uh, so then they got to change from, from Redskins to something else. But it looks like that before the season actually gets underway, uh, the teams are going to have new names. You know, I, that was funny. Uh, I've seen before they actually get underway, I find it very, very hard to believe that in between now and presumably the beginning of August, that they would be able to settle on a name, get Nike to redo all new uniforms and logos, completely rebrand the stadium and everything. Um, and that presumes that they come up with a new name in like the next week or so. Um, I would not be at all surprised if uh, they play this season under the current Redskins name, and then you hear about it, and it's a big rollout, which gives them time to kind of launch it, get everybody behind it, you know, be able to say farewell to the traditional branding, make it into a big celebration, because as much as it is popular, like you know, it's 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 more it's more popular down here than it has ever been in, in at any point in time. Which is to say, around Washington, it's probably about fifty fifty sixty forty split to changing it. Normally, around here, it's about like eighty twenty <laughs> at best. So, um, and Dan Snyder's got to be on board now. The only reason I could see them doing it is because you just heard like Amazon is pulling them off. Um, they're no longer selling Redskins gear. Nike has said for their salute to service that they're not going to put Redskins on the hoodies. They're just going to say Washington football. So it, it, when you consider the amount of revenue that the Redskins are losing by basically not being able to sell stuff, um, that could be about it. But you also, on the other hand, you have a very, very, very disaffected fan base down here. So it's questionable how much merchandise they were really going to buy to begin with. Uh, are you at all surprised that there was this much uh, generated interest in the fact of taking Joy Preston Marshall down? Uh, I mean, he started the he started the Washington franchise, obviously, uh, no question about that. Yes, he was uh, the last uh, owner to, to allow black players to play on the team, uh, but. Were you a little bit surprised that they decided to go that far back and take Marshall out of the out of the uh, uh, whole operation of the, of the of the Washington team? I am less surprised that that happened as quickly and quietly as it did. I think than how quickly the, they were willing to discuss the name change. And my mm. feeling is, I think that Dan Snyder was willing to, you know, sort of do all of that, take him down because it wasn't anything that was really being widely discussed. It was just something that one day it kind of happened. And it, That's like, what oh. I thought. I mean, I had never heard that even, I mean, during the yeah. time uh, I heard it, but you know, when, when, you know, he made his first decision and made that trade with, uh, with uh, Brown and, 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 you know, brought the first black player in and they just, uh, just had a big ceremony about it and everything else. I, I I was amazed. I didn't even think about George Preston Marshall, to be honest with it. I don't think anybody else really did. I think, though, that it was kind of like, hey, maybe if we do this. And the other thing, we talked about the corporate thing. One of the big deals that you have to pay attention to is, like, Dan Snyder needs to do, is trying to do stuff to somewhat engender some sort of goodwill. 
because in addition to the financial trouble that he's having with the, the team and, and the lack of sales and stuff like that, at some point right. in the next couple of years, he needs to get a new stadium that he doesn't really want to pay for. And in order to get public funds, he's going to have to put something before voters in some place, be it Maryland, mm-hmm. be it D.C., be it in Virginia. And right now, fan support for Dan Snyder is at an all-time low, and he'd ha- he'd have right. trouble getting anything passed. Well, if right? Washington becomes our 51st state, we will have to worry about it. They'll, they'll put the stadium right there. Well, hey, if that what? happens, he's still going to have to. He's still going to have to put something to a vote someplace. And mm-hmm. you know, there's not a lot of goodwill here in this area towards Dan Snyder. And there are a lot of people who go out and say, in D.C., if it's a choice between you know moderately affordable housing and giving Dan Snyder a vanity palace, yeah, we can tell you where that's going. You know, so. If he can, I think there is an aspect of let me let's kind of turn around this image and do the rehabilitation project because you know he's, he wants Never to, he wants this stadium built by you can't do this by this time twenty twenty six so it can host a World Cup game and in order to do that you know we're talking what six years at the most. And they don't even have a location at the moment. They, they don't even know where they're going to put it. So, I mean, he's got to do something real quick to, 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 to like get this project moving again. Well, they've been doing that in Tampa for 10 years. They've been, they've been telling you where they're going to put it, that they don't have a place to put it. <laughs> we're, going, we're going to move it here, but we can't put it there because it doesn't have access roads. We can't put it there. And 10 years later, they're still talking about the same thing. Yep. This is what's your wonderful area, Don. They're, they're, yeah. Sometimes these guys have no clue what's going on. Mike, thank you for your time tonight, and we'll talk to you talk to you next week. Same time, same station. We, we got Doug. All right, Doug guys. Gordon. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. A great week. Take care. It's good to have, it's good to have Mike on there now. Don, your favorite part of the show. Doug's on here. Doug, hope you had a great Fourth of July. Hope the course is busy on the on the Fourth of July holiday week. And tell us about it. Yeah, it's um it's nonstop action here at the golf course. We are um every day all day. Um just people playing, you know, from sun up to sundown every ten minutes. It is um a factory of of people coming through there. So um you know, obviously not here with with not a traditional, you know, July fourth weekend, but um I don't think people at this point need a reason not to go to work. So we were out awfully busy on the third uh, which was the quote-unquote holiday that we celebrated. Um, you know, so we're pretty much busy every day. We've got, uh, in theory, we have our first um, club event this this coming weekend, which is our men's uh, stroke play championship, uh, which is kind of a big one. So uh, we'll see um, if we actually have that. I know that there's some discussion about a, a tropical storm or something coming up the coast that may endanger uh, the weekend for, for weather. Uh, but – Nonetheless, if, if we cancel it, we, we've got some open dates that we can move it to um, at some other point in time. So I, uh, right now we have about 40 players signed up uh, to play in that event, which is about what we get on a normal year. And I think, you know, a lot of players that play, uh, number one, it's it's hard for some people to play two days in a row because of commitments to family or 
you know, or what have you. I think it's also um, um, a scenario where, you know, Don, we've talked about individuals that don't necessarily want to uh, play by the rules, so to speak. They just kind of want to have fun and, and go play and tee it up with their buddies and, right. and have, a, have, have a beer afterwards. So 40 is about the right number, I think, for us to, to conduct this. Well, we talked last week about Deshaun and, and uh, you know, he, he played great the first couple of tournaments. Didn't win, but he was pretty close. He was right. in the top five yeah. at both times. And he finally, uh, finally put it all together last weekend. And, uh, yeah. you know, they've, they've harped so much on that training program. Are you a, are you a strong believer in uh, weight training and all that type of stuff that the athletes mm-hmm. are all doing today? And I guess that must have been part of his regimentation. I know he lost all that weight, but. Uh, yeah. weight training and so forth. It couldn't have just been food. He must be, you know, doing something sure. other than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, over the course of time, you know, obviously we've talked about the impact of certain players on the game and, um, you know, notably Jack Nicholas comes to mind in terms of what he, he was able to, to do to take the game to the next level and with his wins in majors and majors and just his, his mere presence in the field. Um, and then obviously you can look at, at other players uh, that, have, that have had a similar impact and, you know, Tiger Woods, uh, for one, obviously was was one that um, you spent a lot of time in the gym and, and on training and and trying to incorporate you know off the course stuff and in, in what he was doing on the course. Uh, so, I mean, look, I'm you know playing baseball for all the years that I played and and doing different things. I mean, I've always been in the weight room, and I I, I truly believe in um, you know ha- having your body. Um, in the in the best and peak shape that it can be, and I also think too that you know you see you know guys like I mean you know think about guys that have played golf over the course of time. A lot of these guys were incredibly good players. Um, you know when you mm-hmm. think of Tom Kite, what do you think of when you think of yeah. Tom Kite? I mean Tom Kite was a great player, but I mean he was a little guy and he was you know he right. wasn't there wasn't anything big about him except his glasses. Right? Well, ben Hogan was a little guy. Yeah, um, you know, look at look at uh, the other side of that. Look at like guys like Ray Floyd. Look at guys like uh, Craig Stadler uh, that that were that were bigger guys. Uh, that that the were shark. To, to look at the well shark. He, he he hit the ball nine yeah. miles. The shark before anybody right. did. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, the game has changed, and I think that the you know what you do off the course is almost um, as if not more important than what you do on the course. Um, I mean, it's. Golf is very it's it's not what people think it is. I mean, it's a demanding sport. I know you're not tackling anybody, you're not running up and down the court, you're not uh injuring mm-hmm. yourself, you know, covering somebody or you know, getting checked into the boards. I mean, I, I understand all that, but four days, I know you don't have to carry your bag, but some of those courses are pretty long, pretty hilly, um, and some of the weather conditions are extremely hot. Um so if you're not hydrated, if you're not in, in good enough to shape, I mean a a typical walk around an 18-hole golf course is anywhere between six and eight miles, and that's if you're hitting the ball, right. you know, as the crow flies, right? So, you know, you, you know, what other, you know, minus people that actually run, you know what I mean, or bike or do those sorts of things in terms of their exercise, but you're basically telling me that you're going you're gonna to walk somewhere between, what, 25 and 40 miles in, in, in four days? You know, that's, that's not an easy thing to look at. No, by the way, you need to swing a golf club. Mm-hmm. You need to do all these little things. So, I think that what you do off off the course, you know what I mean, in terms of your conditioning. And don't, forget a lot of guys hundred, like, don't forget those hundred practice balls you hit before the right? every day sure. before you go out there. Well, and also understand that that you know that the the tour itself. I mean, you look at guys that do uh, some things. You know, they're looking at flexibility, they're looking at core, uh, they're looking at cardio, they're looking at different components that can make them better. And then you have 
your freaks of nature, which are guys like Dustin Johnson, who are just absolute athletes uh, that are actually lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Even Roy McIlroy, who's a smallish guy, uh, was seen in the gym and he was doing squats and those sorts of things. I mean, you're not going to find like your KJ Choi's of yet of yesteryear that were your power lifters, so to speak. But I don't think there's anything wrong with some of that explosive ability and some of these guys maybe pushing some weights around. You know, Brooks Kepka comes to mind as well as, as in terms of somebody who, who might be in the weight room and, and doing his thing. So I think if you do it right, um, you know what I mean, in terms of, of still stretching before and after or, or having some levels of cardio and, and fitness and, and, and um, flexibility involved, I mean, you're not going to lose a whole lot. I mean, guys like Bryson DeChambeau are – what is he, 20 couple years old? You know what I mean? So, it, it, you know, guys like Phil Mickelson are just trying to survive. So he's doing what he can do to, to hang on and, and keep his fitness level up to still compete with those flat bellies. I, I never had the pleasure of seeing Muirfield. Uh, Tommy, you lived in Cleveland for a long time, so maybe you had a chance to see it out there. And I don't know whether Doug has either. I, I'd like to, you know, have a chance to go out just to see the golf course. It must be a, a marvelous place to set up. Oh, uh. So Don, I guess there's one better in Columbus. I own a country club. I went to college for a year in Ohio, but I was working for the Am ship up there trying to build a ship. So my roommate said, let's go down to Columbus and play, you know, let's go play Scioto Murfield Village. Now, his, my, my roommate's friend, I mean, my roommate knew, his dad knew Jack Nicholas. This is a true story, Doug. So we, we mm-hmm. were out partying Friday night, you know, down high street and the whole nine yards. So we got up at 8 o'clock, and I had a 79 at, at the Scioto, Doug. That was a great golf course, Don. You loved it. Then, yeah, then I've, I've heard of that, the, actually. Uh-huh. He said, then they, he said, let's go to Murfield Village. I said, oh, no. Now, guys, get it. We uh, we were out to 2 in the morning, 8 o'clock tee off time. My head was throbbing. <laughs> I didn't want to go out there and that. So, so anyway, so we're in Murfield Village, and I look up in the pro shop. Jack Nicklaus says, can I help you? Uh, I said, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. <laughs> and, and then and Jack Hessel was a big, business, nice businessman in, in the city of Columbus. He did a lot of real estate. He knew he used to play golf with, with Jack Nicholas. So, mm-hmm. well, the last, that, last time I saw Jack Nicholas play, the uh, last two times actually, uh, play, was when they were still playing at Whitewash. If you remember, he, he won at Whitewash. Yeah. And, and that, that's one of the few times I actually was on the course where he was playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but this was a so this where we walked up there and and Jack said Jack said hey Jack can I play with you guys to Jack Hessler and then he said sure he got his bags and I was I was scared out of my wits I thought <laughs> I was going to turn pink him for color and then he said so I said I got on the first tee you know and introduced myself you know then I said Jack I used to have a five handicap on you know down up in Philadelphia area then I had to. And had to play the Sayota Country Cup in one of '79. So, so he played with us, right? Don, this is what I was hitting mm-hmm. the ball real. Important. I hit the ball out there, ten yards behind Nicholas, and like so. Mm-hmm. Here it is, par four is like 404 yards. I was crushing the ball back then, guys. It's it's hard to get old, but hit a seven iron up on the green. It was 10 feet away. Jack hit his ball 15 feet away. He putted first and just missed, and I putted the ball right in the hole for. For a Ray Birdie in the part four, and I was like, wow. "Oh my God, look, look who I beat! I can't believe it, Joe." And <laughs> I, it's my claim, claim to fame about the Murfield Village. So it's a beautiful golf course up there, and that's it's a beautiful area Columbus is, guys. So that's a true story, Don. <laughs> it's a true story, but it's just a great thing. Doug, what's your what's your tip for the week, Doug? 
uh, my tip for the week is if you can beat Jack Nichols on any hole, if I ever play with you, you're never getting a stroke from me. <laughs> well, that's a stretch. <laughs> what's that goes? What's that goes back then? I got senior moments night. I turned to you last Friday. I'm about to 65. Right. I turned to you right now. So I mean, no, I can't. I'm, I'm just saying. This. You, you have forever. You have forever screwed your handicap with with me, and you will always play at scratch. Sorry. Well, I would tell the story. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and, uh, I would tell the story about that, but no. Right. Yeah, but right, but you know, but that was that was a that was a fun day. I always remember that. And then mm-hmm. Don, it was a same way. You know, Jack would play the, the IVB Golf Classic the following year, and mm-hmm. I got home from college and went to the IVB Golf Classic, and Jack was playing a practice run up there. Hey, Jack, you remember me? And you remember me playing with your home course down at Jack Hessler? Oh, are you Tommy? Oh my God! Yeah, I didn't know you lived in Philadelphia like so. Yeah. So, Followed him around. And followed How him would around. anybody ever forget you, Tommy? Well, oh, no, Tom. <laughs> Don, the real <laughs> issue, the, the real issue here, Don, is that apparently these individuals remember Tommy because he lied about his handicap and screwed him out of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guarantee you he didn't play. He didn't pay the greens fees. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. <laughs> He probably, oh, yeah. he probably well, took range. He probably took some of the striped range balls, and that's that's what he he rolled the range ball in on the first hole. And Jack Nicholas says, "Where'd you get that ball from?" <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> and, and Tommy said, "You mean the one with the circle right. around it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tommy's answer to that is always, "I buy those those uh, French balls, Ron J." Right. Right. Doug, we are all, all club in Philadelphia. Don knows this rolling green, and so does Frank know this. So, so, so they took this. They had rolling green day, so this way they took the kids out of school. Okay, so, so I, had, I had a nice group. I had a good foursome up there, and my buddy, my my buddy, he lives with down here in Tampa right now. He said, he said, he says, Cuddy, where's the ball? If you give me a shovel, I'll find it. <laughs> right. Doug, yeah, as you look over the the field itself, golf in, in particular, and you know mm-hmm. some of the greatest teachers weren't necessarily great players. How, how do you how do you relate put those two things together? If you're taking lessons from somebody, yeah. and they say, "Well, gee, this guy could be hard, but I don't care who it is," and and you say, "Well, you know, well, you were you were never a great player, but yet they're right. considered to be some of the greatest teachers of the game." Yeah. Well, um, you know, that's an interesting concept that I think will will probably travel in its parallels across any sport. Um, you know, for years, you know, guys like Charlie Lau were, were uh, committed as, as one of the better hitting instructors. That that guy hit, you know, what was his career average, just over, you know, 200. Um, but wow. at the same time, when you talk, when you talk about people um, in their respective sports um, that, that are good teachers, you know, there's there's a lot of components that go into being a good teacher, and, and one of the most that people discount the most is the fact that you have to be a good communicator. Um, so, you know, some of your best players um, are either field players or they are so arrogant, you know, that they con that they can't even they can't even express the concepts that they need to to communicate to somebody who's hitting a golf right. ball for the first time. Okay, so. Wow. To be a, to be a good communicator, you have to be a good listener. You have to pay attention and, and be able to observe and, and be able to figure out, 
you know, what is it that this individual might be doing wrong? But guess what? That individual comes to you for a reason. You have to understand what that reason is. What is their goal? Do they want to be the club champion? Do they want to break 90? Do they want to be able to hit a driver? I mean, what is it that they're coming to see you for? Because what, what you want to do with them doesn't matter unless it's what they want to have done to them. You know, so, I mean, obviously you, you talk about the competency levels of individuals that might teach. If you're a PGA professional, you have undoubtedly passed a physical playing test to get to the point where you've shot a respective score that makes you, you know, in everyone's eyes say, okay, well, you know what? That guy teaches a lot. I don't really ever see him play that much. If he went out and played with the members this week, he'd shoot 78 or 82 or whatever, big deal. But that's, that's because he's rusty. He doesn't have a good circuit, whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter. But at the same time, if you watch that guy actually hit a golf ball or go through his mechanics, you would say, okay, well, it obviously, it's pretty obvious that he knows what he's doing. Right. So can I communicate that to you in a lesson and can I help you? Uh, mm-hmm. Can I understand how it is that you learn? Are you a physical? Are you a, uh, an audio learner? Do, you, do I just tell it to you and you can do it? Um, are you a, you know, a, a visual learner where I have to maybe do something so that you can see it or you have to see it on a video? Or are you a, a kinesthetic learner, which means I have to do different drill work to come up with prescriptions or remedies to, to help you understand what it feels like to make the point that I'm trying to make uh, with you? Oh, and by the way, you know, guess what? We have to evaluate your golf clubs. We have to evaluate your fitness. We have to right. evaluate any limitations you might have. So there's a lot of things that go into it um, in terms of, you know, understanding what a good teacher might be. And some people just flat out can't do that, you know what I mean, because they're more interested in the actual playing component of, you know, look at me. I can shoot 65. This is how you do it. Okay, well, that doesn't translate to people. You know what I mean? Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, I mean, there's got to be more aspects. I mean, just take take Jack Nicklaus for instance, talk about how great a golfer he is, and his sons yeah. are great golfers. I mean, great golfers in the concept. Right. I don't know what their mm-hmm. handicaps are, but they're very good. You know, but sure. yet they're not Jack Nicklaus. I mean, he they, huh. he can't teach them how to be Jack Nicklaus. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got to you got to have some clay to make some bricks. I mean, you know, maybe they just weren't. You know, I mean, there's only one Jack Nicholas, right? So it's it's hard to say that, you know, even if that apple fell from the tree, that those guys would have, you know, a head start on the rest of life because they're Jack Nicholas's right. son. You, you know, I don't I don't know that that right, translates. Right. You know, um, but at the same time, um, you know, I mean, they had every resource they ever wanted to be a good golfer. That's for sure, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, they talked down a lot about uh, you know uh, Arnold Palmer's grandson. Who's you know mm-hmm. very good golfer on the tour, sure. And uh, and uh, and Arnold always talked about it every time. You know, obviously hoping that he would have a great day, great day, great day. And he right. uh, he's an outstanding golfer, but he's not going to be, <laughs> or he hasn't been so far in that right. quite in that league yet, where he's really competitive to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. John, I think it, it would. To me, it would be interesting to see if you looked at some of the. Um, some of the tour players, um, you know, a lot of times, like when you see these snippets of these tour players that are on like playing lessons with the pros or these different, uh, you know, shows that are on the golf channel, they tell you what they're thinking, like as they, as they play, but don't mistake that for, you know, what it would be like if you were taking a lesson from them, because, you know, I, I saw one recently with John Rahm, who was talking about different shots he was trying to hit and different things he thinks on the golf course. And I'm not saying that those are, you know, obtuse, um, you know, concepts for people that play the game to to pay attention to. 
But by and large, most of the people that need help from a lesson standpoint are the ones that they can't get it airborne. They're picking the wrong clubs. They're trying to play the wrong mm-hmm. shots. They're, you know what I mean? They can't align themselves. They don't understand, you know what I mean, about chef. I mean, I'm just saying John Robb's not covering that in playing lessons with the pros. You know, he's he's talking about, you know, the pins in the back left. Do I want to spin it back to it, or do I want to try to make a 20-footer and use the slope and let it roll in there? And that's not what a guy who plays golf actually thinks. It really isn't. <laughs> You know, I think so. they, they, they all think try to get to the green. And I, I love these guys. They take they they dress the ball, and it takes them half hour to dress the ball, and it goes there's a slice in the woods. <laughs> That's a crack me up right. about that. That was tall well, on everybody. It, it, when you when you ride up to your ball, you think what you want hit already. You take the club out, bang and go. I mean, how right. Well, I mean. Playing with individuals like these guys do in tournaments, in, in pro-ams, you know, they're able to to help these these amateurs in terms of different things that they do that are blatantly obvious, but that's different than teaching somebody. I'm not talking about, you know, let's go play 18 holes and I'm going to give you two tips, you know, that, that are going to help you right. out because you're going to be appreciative of them. But I'm talking about spend half an hour, 45 minutes, or an hour with somebody in a lesson scenario and watch them top it, watch them shank it, watch them do these different things. And then, oh, by the way, you have to fix that or give them some plan to remedy that moving forward so that they can practice and get better. That's different. Mm-hmm. It's amazing because even even on the tour a couple of weeks ago, and I can't remember exactly who the player was, but they spent a lot of time talking about he had putted so badly on the first day on Thursday. And he he yep. uh, spent an hour or something with a with a, 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 a just on his putting with a a teacher. I can't remember who he, who the teacher was. It was it was another right. uh, another pro, and sure. how much better he had putted the next day. They credited you know the time they had spent you know with his. I can't remember who the pro was that worked with him, but uh, right. it's amazing how these little things that they do that uh, make so much difference. Well, yes. and, and to, to, to me, a lot of the things that, um, you know, look, the, the pre-shot fundamentals before you even make a golf swing are uber important to people that play the game at any level. And if you've ever watched professionals when they practice, they are very robotic and methodical in terms of how they go about hitting every single ball or lining up every single putt. And I think that it, it stands to reason that if if you're going to do something um, i.e. putt a golf ball, hit a golf ball, chip a golf ball, you should go through a routine. And it's no different. And I tell these individuals, like, do you brush your teeth at night? And they look at me and they say, what do you mean? I was like, do you brush your teeth at night? And they say, yes. I was like, well, do you just like brush the right side tonight or the left side tomorrow? Or you brush all your teeth or what do you do? And they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, well, you have a routine, don't you? Right? So why is this right. any different? You're hitting, you're hitting a putt. What do you just step up to it and hit it and hope it goes in? You line the ball up, you line the putter up, you know what I mean? You line your body up to it, you look at the break, you do all these different things, you go through a routine. So why the hell would you deviate from that just because you're practicing or doing something different, right? That doesn't make any sense. You know, so some of the basic things of having a pre-shot routine, having a target. I mean, how can you evaluate a shot that you hit on the range or on the golf course if you don't select a target? How do you know if it went there or not? How do you know if you made a good swing or not? Right? So some of the simple things. I was going to say, very simplistic, but yet <laughs> the only way you can improve. Right. You know, Tommy I mean, doesn't need any of that. He beat Jack Nicholas on a hole, so he doesn't need any of that. This is true, right? <laughs> right. I got lucky, guys. I got lucky. 
<laughs> well, did you, play, did you play that hole in the dark, Tommy? No, he was, was it at midnight? Was it midnight you beat him that? Was it midnight you beat him that hole? Right. No, we we in the in the afternoon. This is during Ohio State football. <laughs> when I was home, and for Jack occupied watching the football game. So we went out. You know, imagine Doug. I, you know, I just we came back from. We, went, we had a short night Friday night, making sure it's so the country club. I had a seventy nine over there, and it's and father said. Oh, come on, let's go see a Jackson town. Okay. I said, oh, God, say no, please say no. I, I don't want to do that, you know. And right. so they went to Murfield Village, and he, Mr. Hessel was a member there in Murfield Village. So we played, you know, Jack went to play one hole with, with us, you know, and I go, oh, boy, say no. So I get on the tee, and I says, okay, the pressure's on you right now. Don't slice Trish. it, don't tuck it, or don't hack it. So it's a few hundred yards down the middle of that fairway. And took a five right. out and put her ten feet away. So that was, that was that, Doug, Doug, those were the old glory days. Now I'm getting older, and I'm just hitting, just hitting and poking and hitting, hitting right. and poking down the middle of the fairway. So I mean, that's just I know. Well, you know what? When but, when you reverse, you know, Tommy, when you reverse engineer that, it didn't matter what you did on that first tee because Jack Nichols didn't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't know that at the time, but he didn't care. You oh, know what I mean? No. Right. Because he, so. he's just playing. He's playing a fun route, fun, fun hole with us. Sure, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Just, uh, well, th- well, Doug, the one thing you've had, I'll tell you, the last. Uh, I mean, I've only been I've been back here at the shore for a week, but yeah. uh, the weather has been. And uh, the next five days, it's going to be between yeah. eighty-eight and ninety, uh, all the way through the weekend. And the next five or six days, sure. So you've you've had some pretty darn good weather. You know, the spring was not too good, but since then you you yeah. really had some home runs. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's very conducive uh, to playing golf every day. As I mentioned, guys are and ladies are are coming out in droves. Um, and so, you know, I guess uh, Tommy, you would ask me um, my tip of the week. Let me tell you something. It is extremely hot and very humid uh, in this Middle Atlantic area, and I strongly encourage individuals that go out and play you are very susceptible to heat stroke. You're very susceptible to getting burnt. I, I encourage sunscreen. I encourage as much water as you can drink. I encourage uh, the wide brimmed hats or a hat in general. Um, I encourage um, moisture wicking type, you know, tops and clothing, um, those chili towels, whatever it is, you know, multiple golf gloves because you're going to sweat through them. Um, you know, a towel. I mean, all these different things, make sure that you're prepared when you go out to play golf in this mm-hmm. heat, if you're playing in, in some of the hotter portions of the day, because you will very quickly find yourself uh, on the wrong side of that with either a heat stroke or, or a very bad sunburn. And that's, you know, you just got to be careful with that kind of stuff. Another so. thing, too, uh, Doug, that uh, you're exactly right about keeping it hydrated. But at the other, at the other side of the ledger, uh, well, they've always taught me anyway, growing up to play sports and so forth, it's not what you drink mm-hmm. while you're there. Get yourself oh, yeah. that drinking before you get there, and then maintain Absolutely. it as you're playing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if if you know you're playing golf tomorrow and it's going to be warm, you absolutely have to start your consumption of, of water uh, tonight. Uh, because by the time you wake up, if you're into the coffee and those sorts of things, you've gone the wrong way. Right. You typically dehydrated when you wake up anyway. So, yeah, what you what you do the day before or the night before is, is extremely important, um, especially if – you know, some of these tournaments are two-day tournaments, or you're playing more than 18 holes in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you really, really have to pay attention to that kind of stuff. 
Hey guys, hold on for one second. Frank here, tick tick tock. We're up to get the clock. Yep. So it's we're up against the clock up there. So Doug, thank you for coming on as always and there's interesting. Of course. And that was a true that was a true story about Nicholas too. I next yeah. week I tell you true for you. about Leach you you love that. Don, always a pleasure. Doug, always a pleasure. We'll see what happens at yep. Muirfield this weekend. I'm really looking exactly. forward to that. And uh, oh, see whether Mr. Thomas, uh, Mr. Thomas can uh, win a tournament. Now he's been in the, he's been up there too for a few weeks. I had one one, so yeah. maybe this is his week to win. Absolutely, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll pay attention. Yes, sir. Thanks, Thanks guys, fellas. We'll get together next week. Yes, sir. All God right. bless you, Doug. Well, Frank done a great job. Another great job, Frank, as always. The show's dedicated to Mr. Roger Handler. Roger, I'll say a prayer for you before I go to bed tonight. Put you in the prayer chain. Frank, always, always, always a great job. Beautiful job as always, Frank. And and that was a great, another great show. So, Frank, for my family, your family, God bless you, and the, you and the grandkids, and the beautiful wife. And, and have a good week, Frank. Be safe out there. Hi, right, thanks, Tommy. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see someone in uniform, please acknowledge them. Let them know that you know they're there. These are very, very tough times for men and women in uniform, uh, in all uniforms. Um, we want to thank you for listening, and uh, these, these, dedicate, these programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Um, and our call list is gone. So um, good night, God bless, and have a great week.
Yeah, we miss you. 